disappointment of the stick click. Welcome. Welcome back. Hope you're well. Always irritates me that when you practice on the pad and you get a little click of the sticks. How do you feel about that? Does it bother you? It bothers me. Ah. Yeah, because I always, you know, when I was studying classical snare drum when I was uh, mainly between the age of 14 and 19 I'd say I kind of I gave up the kind of classical side of of anything that I was studying when I left the um, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in um, 19 at the end of 19 the academic year of 1990, it's July or June, June 1990. That was the end for me of uh, of engaging in that world uh, in an ongoing sense, you know, as in my view is studies is about having a head in two generic things or two sort of general areas. One is one should be thinking about it a lot because um, thought practice or the practice of thinking the practice of um, of of knowing what something is and thinking about it and having headspace for it is there's a lot of uh, there's a lot that can be said for that and a lot that you can learn in that headspace it's not the answer to everything you can't just think your way to learn anything you want obviously you've got to physically do it but there's a there's a lot of um there's a lot of potential i'd say in um in in the kind of th the, the thinking process of practicing which a lot of people um i don't think give quite as much time to as they maybe should and then the other is the actual the other side of that comment obviously is in the ongoing practice of uh, of, of studying and in whatever whatever it is you know and um, and I was between the age of 14 and 19 in a uh, in a process of practicing um, practicing the snare drum in in, in a classical uh, playing cross classical repertoire, you know, and that's something that I, you know, actively gave up when I when I kind of left classical education. So um, the thing that I always tried to do, which leads to this problem, as you can hear, is I try and play with kind of a two two sort of centimeter ish an inch or so gap between the tips of the sticks I mean it, it often I often get stick clicks when I'm recording this because I I end up with the practice pad to be to be fair to myself in a, in a slightly compromised place because of the microphone um, like anybody I don't like feeling restricted in any way in relation to the space in which I'm playing in don't like anything that interferes with elbow uh, the kind of potential of elbow movement shall we say um, as anybody knows who um, who knows me and has um, listened to my thoughts about the physicality of drumming um, people know that I certainly believe in the potential of el the elbow movement the ability to, to have to throw from the elbow you know, you can have the short throw from the wrist, which is predominantly where I play from. But having the potential of the throw from the elbow is very important. So if one has restricted space for the elbows to move, then we have a problem, you know. Um, a couple of drummers I think of who, who come to mind immediately is like uh, Adam Nussbaum, 
or Luke Flowers. You know, those 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 they have a kind of animated arm or upper body that requires space. You know, and uh, very occasionally I'll I'll get into that kind of space. Very very occasionally in playing, um, and if I feel in any way like there's a restriction, especially sort of behind the left elbow, then. Um, as they say, Houston, we have a problem, you know. So, but yeah, the the consequence of um, of playing with this, what I would call, you know, a disciplined tip of the stick position on the snare drum, is that if I'm in any way compromised, or I'm sort of something is interfering within the the, the up and down stroke occasionally you get that sound you know so um, but it is a disappointment it's a disappointment I thought I'd share that with you beginning of this um, this rambling stuff so I hope you're well welcome back if you've been listening um, thanks for coming back if it's your first time listening and um, this is episode 69 I think um, yeah and it's definitely a, f- a change in uh, in everything in the last week or so. Uh, I moved from a kind of place of being uh, away from uh, my day job and um, a little bit away from music, actually, in some ways. Um, not totally, but... Uh, but this last week I've been back at work. So since since after the bank holiday weekend here in the United Kingdom, the Monday was a bank holiday. Tuesday I was back in and just kind of back into it straight away, you know, 100 mile an hour from zero, all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and it's always like that this time of year because, you know, I've had essentially been off on and off since the, the middle end of July um, had a bit of a period in the middle when I was in um, just after I recorded the last episode of, uh, of this actually and then um, yeah and then was was back off again for a couple of weeks so it's always the same and then it's uh, yeah it's just kind of it feels like a catch up kind of period for a while but uh, the thing that always returns when I go back to work is um He's starting to think about teaching again and the drums, you know, and uh, and when you, I, I always find when I have these pauses in playing, um, I'll kind of return to a topic which will um, sort of challenge me in a way to think of oh, actually where am I with that, you know. Um, and it's coincided with something that I've been doing in the last few weeks that I've never really done before in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm 51 years of age, nearly 52, 52 in November. And um, and the one thing I've never done in life um, is read books. I'm not a I'm not a reader, as they say in the words of Bill Hicks. We got ourselves a reader. I'm not a reader. Um, and I kind of decided a few weeks ago that I wanted to um, to read more, uh, particularly at bedtime. I mean, basically, the, the bottom line is I've, I, I'm a really terrible sleeper. Always have been pretty bad, but I, but I wasn't when I was a child. I was a very good sleeper when I was a child, but, you know, the, the complications of, of life and existence seem to have taken their toll slightly on my um on my ability to to sleep well you know um and it used to be when i was in my early 20s in that period i was just thinking about before now i was a you know i wasn't a particularly mental i wouldn't say i was a mentally healthy person at that time things were i think found things quite challenging um i was a terrible insomniac so it was hard to get to sleep 
um, but in slightly contradictory to that thing, um, what a lot of people, you know, insomniac struggle struggle with is 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 getting to sleep and then and actually then staying asleep and getting back to sleep, etc. I didn't have that problem. I, my problem was actually going to sleep, and and it it kind of manifests itself um, as I got into my, my early mid twenties. As a as just became completely um, nocturnal, really, and 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 sort of very detached from society in a lot of ways, um, but was kind of a lot less anxious, you know, and and was a bit more functioning in relation to um, in relation to what I was, what was important to me, you know, and. Uh, but you you know you can't partake in uh, in what I would say is you know a mainline society and things that are kind of connected to that. Well, if you live in that way, it's just not possible. And you know, and so as I got into my thirties, um, major illness at thirty helped this. But not only that, other things uh, things settled uh, down a lot. You know. And getting through that thing at thirty was it was a, was actually a very big was a big thing to come through that and uh, yeah and then sort of the the thing the thing that started to happen with sleep was um, was staying asleep so I kind of got better at going to sleep but staying asleep you know became kind of a problem. Uh, and then when I got this job and the, the, the sort of stresses of this job and, and the, the thing, I, the, my day job, so to speak, and the certain times of year, you you get very preoccupied because you have. It, I like to I like to resolve things. I like to sort you know have things that kind of resolved. You know things that I can sort out, get them sorted out, so that I think about them. And there's a lot of things that you can't resolve at this time of year, so they they preoccupy your mind and and they they create a certain kind of frame of mind for me which I, I don't find particularly healthy and I don't find it particularly um, useful for uh, for trying to switch off you know and one of the things that I'd um, heard I was going to say read, read quite a lot about but I hadn't read a lot about it at all because I, I don't really tend to read things I tend to listen to things and watch things it's always been that way for me an auditory and visual person, as they say. Um, one of the, one of the things that I'd heard a lot and and um, seen a lot, you know, in sort of people talking about sleeping, and and it was something my my mum used to say years and years and years ago. Um, was when at bedtime, a good thing to do is to read a book, you know, because it does help you go to sleep. It does something. And uh, and so that was one of the reasons as as well was one I wanted to get better at reading. Uh, I, I feel like I miss out on a lot of things because I don't read stuff. Uh, and I own I own books and I have this good intention. I'll buy a book, you know, and uh, and have a kind of oh this will be really interesting. And then just don't read it or don't get beyond the foreword or the introduction or, or don't get beyond the first chapter you know the whole thing is so slow and arduous and and just becomes boring you know and becomes like labored but um i decided to um i was going to read and um i found this book via um a kind of set of circumstances which I'm not going to go into now but they were just a kind of set of circumstances that led me to think I'd like to read this book and the thing I didn't realize at the time um well I suppose it's that thing of I, I suppose I didn't I didn't re I didn't realize in a kind of um like crystallized way you know and you, you you kind of retrospectively think oh actually yeah I must have been thinking about that or it must have been that must have been the thing but I hadn't it was like a vague it was like a vague thing that wasn't realized and uh, the book has kind of has crystallized something 
that I've been thinking about for a long time. And it's this idea, I, mean, I made some notes in the last few weeks about what I was going to talk about because I'd done that thing, you know, and I think I was talking about it last time or the time before I'd sort of, I'd stopped making the notes and then I couldn't really remember these things I wanted to talk about. And um, the note, these notes are funny. The first thing it says at the top, and this is just a general, this is going to go off on a tangent now as a warning, tangent warning. I should have a little sound because obviously there's lots of tangents in these um, podcasts. We do find our way home eventually uh, for any of the new listeners. Um, but um, people that have listened know that trust in the fact that most things are resolved. I don't think that we uh, things are left um, hanging. Topics. I hope not. Uh, well, they're not for me. If the no, obviously, I'm, I'm. If people are listening and, and, and interested, and, and they help making you question things and think about what you're doing, that's great because that's that's got a whole life of its own. You know, and that's nothing to do with me. But if um, anything I'm thinking about or talk about inspires you to think about things in a different way, or even to consider thinking about things in a different way uh open your uh, mind to something that maybe not considered before that's really good <clears throat> or the opposite just kind of reconfirm what you uh, already feel happy about and are happy to hear somebody else sharing the same thoughts which can often be comforting uh, but i've written down here i i said we we can't do everything <laughs> that was my first note and um, it was in response to uh, my something in, in, in myself. I was having giving myself, I, as I normally do, a hard time when I do certain types of gigs that are maybe a bit more, um, you know, the, the stylistically out, slightly outside my comfort zone, um, and I'm always, you know, thinking, oh, you know, I, I should know the styles better or I should be better at this or that or whatever or um, and I was reminding myself and I made this note um, to say actually you know you, you know you can, we can't do everything we do we do our best to do and know what we know you know and and we get asked to play in certain situations I think many of us um, which are you know what we'd say if I was to choose my ideal gig you know then um it would be um, that would be very tricky because there'd be there'd be three or four sort of styles of music which I would say well all those I would be I would be happy you know to represent myself on the on those sort of gigs and then there are lots of gigs that uh, because we play well in those styles um, that we get asked to do other things you know and some of it's social as well we play with people who like us and and they want to uh, they want to share the space with us in in other styles of music and stuff and they feel you know they want to be uh, more around you know a friend or whatever who's also you know a professional or you know a qualified colleague than then have a stranger next to them who's really good you know whatever different people have different agendas don't they when they're gigging some people like to network and they want to play with as many people as possible because they're trying to sort of build up a wider portfolio of contacts you know um which is uh which is something i've always been really crap at you know i never really never really seeked to do that and um you know some of it's laziness some of it's self-confidence some of it is um I think essentially those those things like saying lazy or, or not self-confident enough actually is is maybe a thing of just not being driven in that way you know of being you know motiv motivated in different ways so um so yeah anyway you know blah 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 but um you know I often end up on gigs um well, the people that hire me are perfectly happy in there or whatever, but I might think, oh, I just wish, you know, I wish I was a bit more funk, authentically funky, or I wish I could, I wish I knew these tunes a bit better. So I wasn't having to, some of these gigs are reading gigs and I was having to sort of read tunes that are kind of everybody really knows, but because I don't listen to popular music in that way, and I tend to listen to quite obscure music, I just don't know any of these, these tunes that everybody knows off the telly or off wherever you know so anyway that was uh that was there was literally one note about that which i thought i'd share with you we can't do everything so you know i'm just saying to you um if you're freaking out about thinking you need to do everything um 
you probably don't need to do everything or be great at everything. If you want to be great at everything, then ask mega, you know, keep working hard, but that's a tough gig. I think of a handful of drummers in the world who I'd say, you know, are really, really strong at, at very many styles. Um, you think of the sort of um, the sort of great session players who 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 are, who are mythologically talked about as playing in lots of different styles, you know. But the you know, the, the the classic cliche of the Vinnie Colaiuta thing is it's. Uh, you know, people say, "Oh, yeah, it's a it's a de easy default to, to to go to Vinny because he's so good." But actually, when you really start to think about the his stylistic remit and the, and the things that he's been involved in, in in a way which has what I would say um, authenticity, this guy is pretty. You know, he's pretty kind of up there. Listen to him playing brushes on a James Taylor Christmas album, and then you you know you hear the story of him when he when he did when he did stuff for Metallica. You know, that's quite a wide vibe going on there. And then the and then the stories of him reading for Zappa when he auditioned for Zappa, and John Riley told stories. When I was um, when I was on one of these Russ Gleason uh, Neil Wilkinson drum hangs, John Riley was on there talking about auditioning for Zappa, and he talked about the scores, and it's the same scores Vinny had to read. You know, um, these these scores are like it's like reading hieroglyphics with your glasses on upside down, and somebody setting fire to your face. You know, it's um, this stuff is like. It's frightening, frightening music that is like uh, stuff that people go away and study for months, you know, prepare. Um, see, I mean, that's three tiny little examples of... Um, so, you know, if you're out there and you think, thinking, I need to do everything, just think about, you know, think about Vinny and all that and uh, just have a realistic view, I would say, on... Maybe, you know, think about the things that you really want to play well and maybe spend some real time on that because that's the thing that's genuinely going to give you a really, really great career in this thing that we do. You know, um, I'm saying that from the point of view of somebody that never really did that. And, uh, and so part of the thing I've been thinking about in the last few weeks and, and this book has kind of crystallized this thing was about is about playing swing music and about playing jazz and about playing blues and about bebop you know and um, really sort of trying to understand more about the, the the heritage and background of that music and um and the sort of confusion a lot of the time especially you know like I am, you know, English, Irish, whatever, heritage. And, uh, you know, so I'm from, I'm from this part of the world and, you know, all, all, all of that music that I have uh, heard and uh, became, you know, fell in love with when I was like 12, 13 years of age and, and completely moved away from being into the rock. Um Never fell out of love of playing rock, but just didn't just stop listening to that music because I, you know, I heard this jazz music, uh, which was essentially big band music at the time. But um, you know, that's interesting in itself in relation to the the sort of evolution of of, uh, of jazz in in America, you know, in the way that the sort of from New Orleans and then these these kind of big bands evolved in all different areas of America as, as people migrated around. And then, um, and then how bebop kind of came from that, from the sort of bigger band sound to the smaller group sound, and that was, you know, that was what happened for me. You know, I got into big band playing big, playing along to big band records, and didn't never really played in a big band really at that age, but was playing along to Buddy Rich records, and I was playing along to um, 
well, all sorts of kind of albums that had jazz on them, but a lot of them were a big band kind of sound. And um, but I was really obsessed with the sort of Buddy Rich and, and the kind of music because it was some of it was very popular and, and modern music, and some of it was really swinging music, you know. So, and I think I sort of um, the thing I found hardest, obviously, to get close to was the swing feel and all that stuff. But but then you know then. Uh, not going over old ground that I've talked about this story way way back in the, one of the early episodes, but just that thing of when I heard Jack to Jeanette and and suddenly it was like oh that's the thing I've really been wanting to get into the small the small group thing you know the place where the drums are really really integral and uh, exposed and expressive and this whole sound world thing of you know, really kind of getting into a, a sound on the instrument more, more than the chops and the technique and the, the patterns of the instrument, which I spent a lot of time doing because I was studying classical snare drum and studying Wilcoxon and all those kind of things and, you know, and, and studying Buddy Rich and, and um, those kind of big band drummers, a bit of Gene and a bit of Louis Belson, but, you know, mainly a lot of Buddy and, uh, and a lot of Joe Morello, listening to a lot of Joe Morello as well. Uh, which was kind of more of the small groupy thing, but um, but just just his kind of technical thing, and then to listen to then hear this Jack thing, and then suddenly oh, that's that's this is the world, this is the this is the thing, and then was just kind of you know kind of obsessed with that music really for years and years and years, and never really studied the history of it or, 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 or to even to get like an idea of a lineage and uh, I remember hearing this story years ago about um, when I lived in London there was a, a guy who uh, a friend of a friend of a friend um, who went for a lesson with Mr Peter Erskine you know one of the great players and great educator and uh, in the lesson you know one of the things that Erskine um asked the guy to do who's having the lesson um, he was asking him to play like Art Blakey would play something or like Tony Williams would play something or like Max Roach would play something or like Elvin would play something etc and the guy who was having the lesson was really um, kind of like taken aback a bit I think by because I didn't think he thought that was what that was what was going to happen in the lesson you know i think uh, uh it's often a thing with uh, people that go for lessons uh it's like people that come for le- private lessons with me you know some people come back and some people don't because i think they maybe have an idea of what they they, they want to get out of a lesson you know people often ask me about the same thing but uh the way i teach or or the way i what i would say more mentor or guide or try and um, get people to understand the kind of the concept of the way that I try and communicate my ideas it, I think it connects with some people and it doesn't connect with others you know which is which is fine which is kind of normal and I think that it was a real thing when I, I heard this story um, I was imagining being in that situation that that at that moment you know and I, I think I was like 21 then and like thinking, yeah, you because know, I thought I was quite a good player, and I was absolutely not a good player. Now I know now that I wasn't a good, <laughs> that good a player at all. But at the time, I thought I had some stuff together, and uh, it's really fascinating that um, that if I'd have been in that room with Erskine, you know, there's only really two drummers I could have I could have attempted to even sound like a one percent close to because of how much i'd listened to them um in that situation i mean obviously buddy rich was someone i listened to a lot but the two of the drummers i listened to a lot at that time were him listened to a lot of erskine and dijonette you know but i didn't i knew nothing about elvin really or tony williams i i'd listened to quite a lot of art blakey early on art blakey was somebody i discovered when i was 15-ish, 16, uh, just because of some stuff on the telly and stuff. I mean, you've got to remember the UK at that time, 
I mean, obviously, this is, you know, this is the, the cliched thing of the old man saying, most long before the internet was around, we used to listen to LP records and tapes. Well, we did. And there wasn't a lot of stuff in the UK for jazz, you know. The, the TV, I, I, I recorded everything that was jazz on the television. And, uh, you know, the things that really... The things that really changed my life in relation to jazz, a lot of them were from from the television and from hearing Dijonette and Jarrett. You know, Matheny was a big, big one. But also this documentary that was on Channel 4, it's called Sounds of Surprise. It's the first time I heard Ornette Coleman. It's the first time I really heard the story of Miles, you know, because there was a whole thing on there. And I'd, I'd heard Tony on those on that programme. There was a lot of Tony... Some great footage of him playing footprints. You know that very open that the the, the mid sixties the the great the great quintet as they call it the what the second one after George Coleman left and Wayne Shorter joined. There's footage on that documentary of them talking about Tony Williams. You know uh, he wasn't interviewed on it. Interesting. A lot of Miles interviewed on it, um, but but I, I kind of never really got into it wasn't a, it wasn't a music and a sound and, uh, that I was really that into the the, the standard sound I, I preferred the Jarrett trio way I just preferred the piano trio for those in that music I, I, um, but you know thinking about it even now just that statement is is kind of farcical in a way because you know the the, the, the miles thing was 30 years previous at least to to this well sorry 25 years whatever yeah this was like late 80s mid late 80s so it'd been mid 60s yeah so you know the things the Jarrett stuff I was listening to was was the the standards trio stuff that was out early 80s mid 80s I was, I was listening to that stuff at the time you know when standards one and two and and still and standards live and still live and changeless and all those albums were coming out I was that there were the albums I was listening to and of course you know you know that the, the quintet was playing that music in in the 60s it was still stellar by starlight and those standards and stuff and um and also footprints obviously went short tune but just um it was just something about the trio sound and i really like guitar trio as well and i like guitar led bands i think that was you know just harking back a little bit to the to the who and the rock the you know the rocky sound particularly the sort of that, that pete townsend sort of sound you know um and I think I sort of, you know, I always liked, I always liked Fender, the Fender, particularly the Telecaster kind of sound as well. That's so what I discovered as I got older and older. I was kind of drawn to that specific type of guitar sound, and um, and also like, you know, like the Gibson, the Gibson sound. I have quite a soft spot for because I played with somebody for years ago, Stuart McCallum, a guy who's interviewed on here a couple of times. He played a Gibson. Uh, for a long, a lot, many, many years, and I used to play with him a lot. This red guitar that he used to play it had a quite a specific sound about it. That you do, you know, you get attached to these these sounds. And you don't realise um, over the years that they become really. Kind of, when you hear, like when I hear the the, the, the travels Matheny sound, you know that sound of Matheny. It really, really is a very powerful. Uh, sound because it reminds me of that time and also his sound for me changed when he when he moved away from from ecm and and went to geffen and stuff i I think his sound uh i mean it it, it, you know it kind of evolved um but it was just that that there's a a sort of specific type of sound on that album and around that time um and I, there was a gig I listened to on the telly, which again is another one of these things that was on the television. This Montreal Jazz Festival uh, from eighty, like eighty two, eighty three. But it had Steve Rodby on it. it. wasn't Mark Egan, so it was it was the next version of that Pat Metheny group with Nana Vasconcelos on or guesting on percussion with Danny Gottlieb and Steve Rodby and Lyle and and Pat. Um, and again, that sound is the same guitar sound. You know, it's a specific type of. Um, this chorusy, delay, but articulated sound. So, very, very um, kind of uh, yeah, really distinct 
kind of thing within uh, within my kind of memory of that music. But anyway, so you know, going back to the the Peter Erskine thing, which is all about the stylistic of being able to kind of identify players or be able to play in the style of. It was then, you know, that question after that, this is a question I've been thinking about since my early 20s, you know, is about what, you know, how to define or to understand the the kind of the swing era thing, you know, and about, um, about being able to be more understanding and authentic um, and being able to also... You know, when you're teaching or trying to help younger people get into this music about kind of saying, you know, this is who you should try and listen to if you want to play bebop. This is who you want to listen to if you're playing like swing or, you know, you know, contemporary or post-bop or whatever. Um, it's It's really knowing when to do the right thing in the music, you know, the right kind of the right kind of playing in in each kind of different style of swing um so it's yeah it's something that's kind of the book i've been reading um has really um changed my view um on 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 kind of uh, quite a large aspect of that the evolution of that because it, i didn't really know a lot about it you know because again it's just this thing of not really reading really not reading anything you know not being engaged as a reader you know um so it was kind of fault this, this thing was uh following on from last week it was not last week sorry last podcast last month uh the last one was about going you kind of return a lot of the time to the same points within um things that maybe you practice but but I was kind of um, making some notes here and, and sort of, you know, thinking about um, rediscovering or re-exploring, you know, how one's kind of personal journey um, has, uh, on one level, you know, it's... It's oh sorry, I'm kicking kicking the microphone stand there. Um, people outside of you know you, people who know you and who listen to you play may think that you are. Um, they may think that you're there, <laughs> you know, in a sense, and um, and that can that can be a good thing you know if you're around that people are sort of saying you know sounds great and everything's cool and you're all brilliant and that you can be like oh great cool well i can get on to the next thing or i can just at least i can sort of feel like i'm on something but uh i think a lot of the time you know we tend to be always wanting to push it on you know but not pushing it on for the sake of or, or pushing it on uh beating it term to to, to 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 coin eric harland's phrase about over when we we over practice something that we can already do is beating it into the ground you know you 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 don't want to be for the sake of it you know or, or even undoing things that you can do well just because you feel like um you may be you know there's a better way you know um there may not be a better way for you there may just be, um, you know, that may be the way for you that's the right way and, and you're making it sound like you can make it sound. But um, but I'm, you know, I'm kind of always just thinking how I can tweak something or do I really understand as much as I could or is are there, are there things I could do better? And the swing thing, the time thing in relation to playing this kind of swing music... Um, and this the, the idea of the the bebop thing i think that's the thing that's, that's fascinated me the most really and one of the reasons why like for instance i started having lessons again because i had this idea in my head about my own playing I used to listen to my own playing and, and i'd hear the ride cymbal break being broken up a lot in the t in the time um because of this inherent uh, lack of um coordination i've been able to coordinate things that i could hear 
as well as I would as I, as well as I should and um, you know that was something that I uh, really started to engage with about eight years ago and uh, and it wasn't a Pandora's box so to speak because I always feel that phrase is, is you open up something and, and things show themselves that you know that you never thought were going to be there or maybe uh, really really negative or just like it's all too much but it's, it wasn't that for me I was perfectly aware of the um, of that I was nowhere you know basically I was I was perfectly aware of the holes and um, and then going back to have some lessons you know very quickly um the holes get exposed you know and it's very it's and it's kind of well you know i know that that's a that's an issue and somebody that that would ask me to do a certain thing who's you know because of the question he's gonna he's gonna be kind of you know exploring where where the edge of it is you know because with you know with coordination in any in any task one can find the edge of where one is very quickly you know um, and there's there's two really important elements to that uh, my students a lot of them tend to they're focused far too much on the first element of it which is the personal practice side of it they tend to get very good at coordinating things when they're sat at the drum kit on their own and they're like, oh, I've got this nailed and they're all kind of like super like, yeah, woo, boom. And then that, then, then they go and play with other people and there's all this auditory stuff going on and, and visual stuff, but a lot of auditory stuff going on that's going to be interfering with the kind of neural connection to that music, the nervous system connection to that music. And they're finding that, you know, it's all clunky. And the coordination isn't there, you know, and they're kind of uh, trying to, they're trying too hard or they're overthinking it or, you know, they're trying to sort of, um, they're trying to superimpose something that they've been practicing into that music, which is not asking for that to be played. And therefore the whole thing is completely at odds with each other because, you know, the, uh, the one thing that you have to, the one thing you have to do with this thing is play with people, you know, it doesn't matter how much you practice on your own. You know, and we live in this world again. You know, this isn't a social media moan, but I, you know, I really, really do kind of find the whole thing of 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 people that just do that bedroom thing and they don't they don't do anything else and and they think that that's it. I just I just think no, you're missing out on a whole massive thing, a whole amazing thing. You know, that that bedroom thing is just a place to shed. It's the place to, you know, it's a place to spend time getting some stuff together and, and spending a bit of time working some stuff out, you know. Uh, but that's it. It's not it. It's not the. It's not. It's not where it's happening. It's just. It's. It's a place to step away from where it's happening. Um. So yeah. So that's saying in order to kind of realize these things one has to be doing two things one has to work hard on practice them and that, and that takes various different degrees of of getting that into the muscle memory and into the into the neural kind of vibe and then the second part of that is to go out and play music and just play and then uh, hopefully these things will appear you know and the time thing and the the, the, the thing of just playing four beats in the bar but being able to be polyrhythmic and syncopated with that that's been that's what this whole conversation is about really you know because if it's just uh well it's not if it's just uh, if it's the the swing thing where it's very kind of um two and four orientated more slightly more old-fashioned that kind of thing which is then uh i think i spent a lot a lot of years early on sort of playing in that way uh and then playing a lot of things to the ride but that were kind of hand-to-hand or you know you know involved in patterns and things but to that 
and a lot of uh, a lot of comping that played into those ting 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 with a lot of quarter note arm motion, you know, and blah blah blah. And really, the thing that I always wanted to be able to do was have this this strong central time thing, and then have this the ability with the other three limbs to to play the stuff that I was hearing, you know. Um, these uh, these long, like as Al Galper describes it, Hal Galper is a great jazz piano player and educator. These long, unresolving, uh, syncopated uh, lines, and there's this great workshop. I, I I'd, I'd I'd recommend it on YouTube if you can find it, and it's in this room, uh, and. Uh, there's a lot of people in there. It's like a workshop thing, and I, you know, I don't know who these people are, but uh, they're all in this workshop, and he's trying to get them all to sing, um, like uh, <clears throat> sort of not scat solo, but sort of a rhythmic bop style solos based on the kind of New Orleans kind of rhythmic thing, but with long unresolving syncopated lines. <clears throat> And um, there's a great moment in the workshop where there's, um, uh, I mean, I really feel for her. Uh, she's the only female in the room, you know, which must be a bit tricky anyway in that kind of jazz male kind of jazz environment, which isn't, you know, sadly we still see a lot of that. And uh, and she's singing very quietly, you know, and he asks, uh, he says, oh, you know, come on, you can sing up a bit more. And he's singing and he's just sat there going, etc. And just these long, long lines that are never, they're never feel like they're resolving this this like energy into the next thing we better bat but baby do da baby do ba bop baba do be baba do ba up and baba do da and he gets to sing up and she sings this little line she's like bit baba do ba bit baba do ba this repeating line and he says no that's not jazz that's rock and roll you know uh and it's like oh yeah yeah because it's that riff thing you know the, the 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 idea of of being more on one riff that just repeats and it's on the same beat of the bar and it's not even uh like this like a riff bib baba dee dum bib baba dee dum bib baba dee dum bib baba dee dum baba doo ba baba doo ba baba doo ba baba doo da baba doo ba where you're taking one little riff and you're actually dis- rhythmically displacing it it's not even that you know and as soon as you start doing that you immediately you know as you can hear you're getting into that idea of unresolving lines but it's one of the things that when i'm trying to get help people to learn to improvise with the drums you know is to they're, they're just kind of playing all this stuff and it's like oh whoa hold on a minute you know there's so many ideas going on here let's just Let's just simplify things and let's get a bit of mileage out of some of the stuff that we've got. But um, but it's interesting the, the, the way in which that great little moment where she's singing this tiny little line and it's just repeated, and then he gets her to he gets her to to sort of break out of it, you know, and kind of liberates her from this this thing. He's, oh, this is what it is. No, no, it's. No, no, you've got much more freedom than that, you know, much more freedom than that. And um, so, the, you know, as the drummer, I mean, one of the things that in the bebop thing, if you, a bit of reading, a bit of history of this kind of stuff. There you go, I'm talking about reading now, you see, already. Um, yeah, we'll see how many books I get around to reading. I'll report back in six months' time. Um I've already got a few on the list which I'd like to read. But anyway, uh, that um, the role of the drummer from swing music into swing into bebop, from blues swing into bebop, the role of the drummer became much more important because of this thing I'm describing. And the great bebop drummers is that's what you really hear. You hear this time. Four beat legato, four legato beats in the bar, not two 
emphasized beats in the bar but four legato beats in the bar and then the skip beat wherever you want it however you want it a lot of personality in the skip beat i think it's a, it's a beautiful place to explore and experiment definitely something that you should, if you're in if you want to get into playing jazz you should be exploring that listening to different players people a bit more straight or a deeper swing or whatever um that's a whole you know episode or whatever series in itself but um but just the idea of of that strong central four in a bar feel uninterrupted by the ability to be get on but don't get and gag it get to get to kick it down but for gas to gas the gap get up go get you gag a guest giddy baba do get where the young ting 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 back to get don't gag it on back but it but that but you go get to get to get go get get to get that to 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 get 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 to go take jagger to dig about etc blah 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 gone forever so these long unresolving kind of lines that are happening between the left hand and the right foot and the left foot. You mean listen to like Bill Stewart or you know these guys like Blade or these players that are I mean there's loads of these younger players that are just like phenomenal New York, young New York um drummers that have this incredible uh, ability to coordinate um stuff. And and, and you know, they're, they're taking that that kind of bebop um, approach to a new, a whole new place. You know, it's, it's rhythm. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. It's evolving so quickly, and people that are engaging in deeper, going in deeper with in a subdivision of swing into the sixteenth note triplets and stuff, and how they're how they're getting into using those ideas in comping, and you know, as and guitarists and piano players in their comping as well, and. And just uh, and this is besides the odd time signature thing, which is uh, I'm not even talking about. I'm talking about f- music that's in two four 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 time at the moment, just like straight down the line. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's um, this kind of last month has felt like there's been a like a just a resolution in my mind as to why I've been on this. Um, on this journey and i'm nowhere near at the end of it but just a little bit more clear um so you know you start to see sort of green shoots don't you when you um when you spend some time working on something and then you you have a context for it you, you go and play with people or um you're just listening to other players and you know i can go back and listen to things i've listened to uh, a dozen or, or 20 or 30 times in quite a lot of detail and then just because of going through this kind of process of being further down the timeline no pun intended but you know having been alive longer um you know one then has a new view or context or or kind of insight more 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 insight i'd say in 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 what you're listening to you just kind of hear you know more um it can be that thing sometimes where you listen to something you really love it but you don't know why and then you work out why and it's still fine you know you still love it but it's just like oh that's what's so Ah, it's, that's even better. It's even mega, more mega, you know. And um, I think that's where I am with playing bebop. Um, I still don't even feel like I've really started to play bebop, you know. Um, and so I think that's the next. I think that's the next episode in my in my playing. Is um, is becoming. Uh, a better bebop drummer you know of of being a bit more 1945 you know or whatever you know, whatever you know parker max roach etc um and it's and it you know it coincides always with this time of year of starting to teach again because you know one of the things i i do at the beginning of the year with new 
first year students because I tend to see half of them in um, in a class that I do at uh, at uh, Leeds Conservatoire where I work is uh, this transcription repertoire class and we do quite a lot of listening and, and some transcribing etc but I go try and go back to an early kind of hit point for them uh, and I'm not even necessarily talking about drums I'm just talking about um, improvisation and about Louis Armstrong basically because every you know everybody I kind of talk to or read about or whatever well not read about but you hear about you know is they go back to you know Louis seems to be seems to be the one you know um I mean, what he was doing rhythmically um, was like in the twenties, you know, um, was 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 advanced for uh, within any music. Um, long phrases of dotted crotchets, you know, hemiola, that thing called hemiolas in jazz, you know, just where you got that one, two, three, four, bat, 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 bat. Bat 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 bat. So you got this kind of feeling of three, you know, one two three, one two three, one two three, one two. In putting four four, and it adds, you know, it's a nice way of adding tension and keeping long phrases tense and exciting. But if you can master, again, in the words of Hal Galper, if you can master how to play these things, you can be exciting to listen to but you don't get over excited yourself in the execution of them but people listening can be like wow you know wow that's exciting because it's tension you know um people get excited in music by tension and then the release that um you know should be a surprise to them um i mean i think some people like to 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 go and hear what they want to hear, and they, they they you know they they go and listen to music that they that they love, and they want to they want to have that experience, and that's great. I think one of the things about jazz that a lot of people don't understand. Well, there's two things about jazz. One is if it's not played very well, it's really I think some of the worst music in the world. That's I, I've said it publicly now, and I say it all the time to people. It's not something I wouldn't say to anybody. I genuinely, when it's played, not played well, I do think it's it can sound like some of the worst music in the world because it because it's you know when it's when it's great, it's some of the best music in the world because because of what it is, um, and a lot of um, all of the great jazz players um, had a had a level of virtuosity. Uh, within what they did on on their chosen instrument or, or, or vo- with their voice, you know, there was something that was that was uh, that was controlled and performed and executed uh, from within them on a very very deep level of um, of of understanding, you know. Um, you know, from the early blues singers that had a specific inflection which was very, very hard to to replicate because of the ability to, you know, to pitch the quarter tones and um, within that bluesy sound, you know, being able to hit that sound. It's, a, it's something that has fascinated, you know, technical people who analyse it for, for years and years and years afterwards, you know. But to be able to do that because you hear that and be in control enough of one's voice to be able to connect the emotional, mental and emotional and physical thing of the voice in one moment, to be able to do that and do it time and time again, in, in my my view, that's a virtuosic thing. That's something that's, you know, that's uh, special and, and, uh, and should be celebrated. But then it's the same in any other instrument, you know. Um, and it's just you know as 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 music has evolved and as instruments have evolved, especially the drum kit, the thing we're talking about here, you know, the drum kit's a young instrument, but it involved has evolved a, f- a phenomenal rate, and the and, and the evolution of it as a, as a, as a physical instrument, as well as the way in which the instrument is played and understood, is 
is incredible in in a hundred years if you think about it think about it you know we're in 2022 and go back spend some time go back through the last hundred years of drum kit you know and uh check it out you know and symbols as well <laughs> drum kit and symbols i used to spend lots of when i used to play a lot a lot of people i used to play with used to say dave walsh on drums and drums and symbols they always used to say the symbols as well as the drums you know and uh i don't know if that's because i always talked about symbols the drummer's ruin i call them you know um, because you know I've not I've not met a really geeky drummer yet that wasn't obsessed with a specific type of cymbal sound or wasn't searching for that sound, you know. But um yeah, anyway. Um so that was kind of um I don't even feel like I've begun today. It's very strange. I feel like I'm still about to begin to say something, but I felt like I've said nothing. But I've been talking for nearly oh, it's over an hour yeah it is over an hour i think yeah blimey so yeah wow crikey so that's it really anyway yeah it's been a it's been a not too busy a time playing as well so um um but it's, it's nice to be able to just got back into starting to practice again as well having had um just over these few weeks a lot of stuff going on you know, around the house and DIY things that I've had to get sorted out. I think the door. I think I think the door was the thing I was talking about last time. I'm when I come up to the drum shed that we have some steps down down into the bottom of the quarry where I live, and we have these wooden the railway sleepers, and some of them have rotted, and I sort of decided that I'm going to repair them. So I've ordered my railway sleepers today, which I'm going to need to chop in half, and then I'm going to need to find a way of. Um, yeah, then the hard work starts. But you know, I, I like I said before, this I believe that if we have the time, and you have the kind of um, well, it's just the time really. Uh, we we you know we can do a lot. We can learn to do a lot beyond what we um, we first are expected or imagine we can do. I think so. Uh, not only on the drums, but in other things. So um, yeah. But if you you know if you don't have the time, the, the you can always find somebody who um, has that knowledge and you can pay them to come and do that for you. But uh, I kind of like the idea of of being able to do some of those things myself. So it's all a great thing, learning new stuff. Very exciting, as well as on the drums, but also off the drums. And the other thing as well is I've gone back on a diet. Yes, I had a summer of pasties, as they say. And, um, yeah, the sort of weight was just starting to get closer to um, where it was a couple of years ago when I was... It wasn't there yet, um, but it was getting closer to that, so I kind of made a decision to sort of... um, uh, it's very hard to you know lose weight unless you do something about it. it, it maintaining the weight is something I've had to kind of learn about because uh, you know when I was younger I was very thin. I was always thin. Uh, I was always very light. You know I didn't weigh anything really for my height. I was six foot four, hundred ninety four centimeters, and I weighed ten and a half stone. You know which is God knows how many kilos, but not that many. And then once I, you know, when I was ill, when I was 30, I still had this very light weight. I was still up at about 11 and a half stone then. I was, you know, still, you know, in the, in the, in the mid-80s kilos or whatever that is. Not even sure what it is, to be honest with you. Um, and then when I got well, one of the big things, you know, I was told was to eat. Just to keep eating. Um, for a good couple of years after getting uh, into remission and and getting the health and getting the health back and, and I inevitably you know got into my 30s and the metabolism slowed down somewhat then started to put on weight you know and um and then after that you know in, in my 40s it started to become like a bit of a struggle because I was so ill-disciplined and just like lazy and kind of musician lifestyle and you know you just just 
you know, what do you prioritise in the day? Well, you know, the pecking order is this, that, and that, and then I'm going to eat something, and then okay, well, I'm going to eat, so I'm just going to have to get grab something on the on the run, you know, or eating at work and not having a particularly large amount of um, options that were particularly healthy, you know, or that weren't that fatty or carby. And so, you know, it's been a kind of learning process the last two or three, four years for me with, with food, trying to eat less crap, essentially. And then, um, so it's cutting out certain things, but realising that some other things that I eat, which are not necessarily crap, but, you know, just eating too much of them as well. So eating, trying to eat a bit less. But, uh, but yeah, I'm a month in. Anyway, I started, I think I started the day before i did the last podcast it's it's been a month anyway so and uh, i'm doing doing well got rid of nearly a stone already which is what i kind of expected just under a stone and um in a month's time i'd hope to be you know nicely down near my target weight my target weight this time is 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 a bit heavier than last time um yeah, I didn't want to get to um, to too kind of uh, down to the weight I got to before because I didn't think that was sustainable anyway. Um, but the other thing is, there's also some new some new exercise that I'm wanting to try and do. So that's that's quite an exciting thing. Just and trying to trying to fit it in here and in, into the shed. I've I've been some stuff because when I, when I practice drums, I use these little weights, these little tiny two and a half pound weights they're like a they're like a kilo you know and uh, i use them when i'm practicing uh in between practicing if i'm doing sort of like a lot of like you know pad stuff i will do some of these and then i've also got some slightly heavier dumbbells which i use which are not heavy at all I, I don't believe in heavy weights for drums personally i've said this before lots of light um for agility you know and for, for creating for not having tense tendons and muscles you know so being able to essentially learning to stretch is the key so probably yoga is probably one of the best things you could do really or i could do but um but one thing I'm, i'd like to be able to do is um strengthen my upper body a bit more as well so that's kind of another ambition for the next few weeks so that's kind of you know in tandem with the with the weight loss thing i'm hoping to get a bit lighter and get a bit stronger in the upper body and 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 losing weight makes it easier to pick up your body because it's lighter you know so the two things should compound each other as they say but uh, anyway that's kind of it really so um yeah next time i'm here i'll be in back in the thick of teaching and i'll be probably um reflecting on that um but yeah and that's all about to kick off in about three three weeks time yeah end of september so anyway thanks for listening and uh, i'll be back again yeah in uh, in a month so bye for now